Please open to your New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12. Now, just a few weeks ago, my brother was here preaching from Romans chapter 12, and he was playing, he, he was putting a focus on verses 1, 2, and somewhat in 3. I, I'm going to emphasize verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. So if you would, please look there. And as you're looking for Romans 12, let me tell you of a story that happened some years ago when I was in my 20s. It seems like a long time ago. A group of friends had gone down to South Carolina to meet up with another group of friends. Uh, we were all friends here in New Jersey, but their company moved, and so they moved with the company and broke up the group. So a whole bunch of us went down there and just to spend the weekend together. And truth is, it's the last time we saw each other, by and large. And while we were there, we decided to go out to eat, get some pizza. And I must say, it was the worst, the worst service ever. In fact, I don't think it could have been any worse. We went out for pizza, and what we discovered is that they were short on waiters, on servers. And so we waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, our order was taken after about an hour's wait. And as we were eating our appetizer, unfortunately, I don't want to discuss uh, disgust anybody, but uh, the truth is that right behind me there was a child who couldn't hold his pizza down, and, well, he let all his pizza out. Um, I was glad that I had my back to the child, but I felt bad for the people across from me as they watched this, and, and it took quite a while for it to get cleaned up. It's not exactly what you want to see when you go out to eat. And then as we were waiting for our pizza to come out, we heard a bang in the kitchen. A slip, kaboom, a bang, pots going all over. You can just hear all the clanging, the rattling. Next thing you know, there's an ambulance coming across the dining area with a stretcher and taking our waitress away with a severe neck injury. She slipped in the kitchen. Then as we were sitting there finishing up our appetizer, one of the guys at the table developed an allergic reaction to whatever it is he ate. And before you knew it, his face was one big red hive. And he couldn't breathe. So some, one of the other friends took him to the emergency room. The rest of us thought, hey, more pizza for us. Right? Off he went. Gone he was. And as we were sitting there waiting for our pizza still to come out, fire trucks pull up. There's a fire in the kitchen. And firemen are coming across with hoses and axes to put out the fire. That's when our pizza came out, and it was cold pizza. I don't think it could have been any worse in terms of a dining experience. It's certainly one that is memorable, and I can say that today I chuckle over it. Back then it was not funny at all as I waited for the food that we had ordered. One tragedy after the other, terrible service. And of course, if you are a restaurant, you are in the service business. Uh, if your service is not good, you fall short of your purpose. A restaurant wants to make sure they serve well. People don't come back if you don't serve well. People want good service when they go out to eat. That's, what, that's the kind of business a restaurant is in. But the truth is, is that the church is also in the service business. 
And this morning I want to talk to you about serving and how to improve your service. Our service as a church is primarily to God. Our job is to serve God. And how do we serve God? Well, we serve God primarily by serving each other. By serving the people of God. By serving the church of Christ. Recall what we said last week, that we are bond servants. That is to say, that we are placing ourselves willingly under the rule of Jesus Christ. Nobody's twisting our arm. Nobody's making us serve him. Nobody makes us become a believer. No, it is by our own volition. As God draws us, as God gives to us the ability to believe, we believe. And we place ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. We are his bond servants, not just servants. Willfully serving our master. And we serve him primarily by serving each other. And sometimes we also are called to serve outside of these walls. We go beyond here and serve people outside of our church building. We serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. And by doing that, we are also then serving Jesus Christ. We are in the service business. And how we serve will determine what people think of God. People will have an estimation of God based on how you serve God. Now, when I say people, I'm not just speaking about people outside our walls. I'm speaking even of us here. Your enthusiasm to serve God, your desire to pursue after Christ and be a servant to him will also impact how the rest of us see God. How the rest of us view Jesus Christ. So you see, your service is extremely important. And that's why this morning we're talking about improving your service. So take a look at these verses, Romans chapter 12, and let's begin at verse 9. I really didn't know where to stop this week, so I just decided to stop at 12. I could have gone further on, to, actually to the very end of the chapter, but I decided to stop at 12. It reads this way. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Well, there's two things I want you to do this morning, having left here. One is this, outdo each other. Outdo each other. And secondly is be zealous, be fervent. Uh, leave it all out there, as so many coaches say. That's what I would like for you to do today. And the reason I say this is because, well, that's what I just read in the scriptures. The Bible tells us that's what is expected of us. Now, outdoing each other, I think, for many of us, if not all of us, comes very naturally. If you have a competitive spirit, it is not hard to try to outdo other people. If you have a competitive, competitive spirit, yeah, you'll see it in your, uh, your practice of sports, maybe even board games. A competitive spirit is seen in what work titles you want, and certainly it comes out in relationships. 
So it's not a big deal to say go and outdo each other. It comes very naturally. It's not a high calling. Likewise with the idea of zeal. Be zealous. That's very natural as well for many of us, especially when we are young. When we are older, well, zeal tends to sort of dissipate. But when we're young, we are so zealous for so many things, and it can be actually very difficult to contain that zeal. By the way, zeal means that you have this intense emotion that will compel you to act. I'm zealous. It's intense. I can't contain it. I'm going to have to do something. I can't just sit here and watch. But let's put some parameters around this idea of outdoing each other and the zeal that we have. Notice what it says in the scriptures here. It says, first of all, outdo each other, verses 9 and then 10. It says, outdo each other by showing honor to each other. How can we serve other people? How can we improve our service? By learning to actually show honor to others. Now, notice here that it doesn't say tolerate each other, although that's important. It doesn't simply say forgive each other or accept each other just the way they are. That's also true, but that's not what it's saying here. Here it is saying to honor one another. That is to say that you ought to glorify God by recognizing whatever gifts God has placed in the people around you, in his household. Glorify God by recognizing what God is doing in that person's life. Pay honor, respect them. And so to improve your service, this is what you need to do. Learn to honor others. How do you do that? Well, let me suggest three ways in which you can learn to honor others. Being that we are who we are, often instead of honoring people, we are jealous of people. And so if you want to learn to honor people, do this. When you see jealousy working its way into your heart, strike back. Strike back at the jealousy. Keep this in mind. You decide where your heart is going. And when jealousy begins to well up in you, strike back, strike it down. You decide where your heart lands. Secondly, do this. Give each other a hero's welcome. Treat others heroically. Bless them. Don't curse them. Honor that person above yourself. And you will find that you, are, you're, you will be improving your ability to serve God. Here's a third suggestion to you. Keep this in mind. You will never be able to honor someone if you think you are better or higher than someone. If you think you are better or higher, you will not honor now, the truth is, everybody here has got a set of skills and, and particular abilities. That's not the question. The question is not whether or not your skills are greater than mine or mine greater than yours. That's not the point. The point is this, is that we're all at the same level in the eyes of God. And when we start placing ourselves above, we are not able to honor others. 
do not place yourself above others. And you'll be better at honoring other people. Now, I must say, honor is far easier when we learn to love each other. It's hard to honor anybody we don't love. And and notice what we see here at verse 9. Notice here that love is primary. The list of virtues begins with just that. Let love be genuine. And the reason why love is primary in this list is that the other characteristics that are listed here in these verses and in the chapter itself, they are possible because of love. You cannot do all this if you are not the kind of person that loves others. It will be virtually impossible. So what is love? Well, if you were to Google the definition for love, you would get um, definitions like love is an intense emotion. Or love is a feeling that compels you to, and so on. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible never describes love as an emotion that will compel you to chase after her. That will compel you to do nice things to others. That will compel you to hug your enemy. It doesn't describe it as an emotion at all. Let me define love this way for you. It's what we talked about a couple weeks ago downstairs in our Bible class. Love is this. It is the seeking of union with another person by desiring good for the other. It's seeking a union with another person by desiring what is good for the other person. Notice here, I did not speak about feelings per se. But rather, it is a determination that I want good for you. I want to be closer to you. I want to join our lives together to some degree. And I'm going to do this by desiring what is good for you. Not even what's good for me or good for us, but rather what is good for you. It's a determination to draw nearer to someone by seeking that person's good. Now, often... That determination produces feelings, intense feelings. But don't confuse love with feelings. But rather, love is very much a determination. That's why we're told in the scriptures to love your enemy. God never says, have intense feelings about your enemy. Whenever you see your enemy, I want you to have goosebumps. I want your heart heart to pitter and patter. No. He says, I want you to look out for your enemy's good. Look for reconciliation by looking out for that person's good. And prayerfully, there will be emotions there too, but that is not the source. Here we see that it is understood that love must be present and love must be the motivating factor if you're going to honor other people. If your service to God is going to improve There needs to be love. Do I need to say that again? Actually, I do, because it's in the text again. Notice here it says that love must be sincere. It must be genuine. Otherwise, a love is simply a pretense. How important is love? 
Well, you know what I find interesting is that the Apostle Paul here, he's writing in Romans, but he also writes the first letter and the second letter to the church in Corinth. We call it 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, he's doing this dissertation about serving people, about serving in the household of God, about how we can serve one another, how we can serve God. And in the middle of that dissertation, chapters 12, 13, 14, in the middle of that dissertation, he stops to talk about serving and he talks about love. And then he goes back to serving. You see, you cannot serve God without loving first God and then people. Look at what he says, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1, 2, and 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'll get your attention but there will be no harmony, there will, there will be no melody, just a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Not I have nothing, but I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see how important love is? Love is so important that if you claim to love God, but hate your brother, this is what 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 19 tells us. If you claim to love God, but hate your brother, you will cast doubt to yourself on your profession of faith in Christ. And John explains that if you claim to love God who you have not seen, but do not love your brother who you have seen, you are fooling yourself. And some people will argue, well, you see, the reason I don't love my brother is because I have seen him. And if you saw him and knew him, you wouldn't love him either. But keep this in mind, my friends. What love is and what love is not. Again, love is not a feeling. Love is a determination to seek out the betterment of that person and draw closer by seeking that person's good. And so love is sacrificial. And that is, in the original language of the New Testament, Greek, that's the word agape. It's a superior kind of love. It's a sacrificial love. And this is the love we see here in Romans chapter 12. Your agape must be genuine. Your sacrificial love must be genuine. It's the love that Christ has for you. He went to the cross not because you loved him, but because he loved you. And therefore he sacrificed on your behalf, on my behalf. He loves me first. That's why I love him. And often agape love is even unreciprocated. I love you, but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to love me back. It's sacrificial love. And here is what we see the Christian needs to possess if indeed your service to God is going to improve. It is an agape, a sacrificial love. Look at verse 10. He speaks more on love there. Verse 10 makes it clear that we are not only supposed to have this sacrificial agape love, but look, he says also to have a brotherly brotherly affection. 
for each other. And there the word is love as well. It's a different kind of love. It's called a phileo love in the Greek. And phileo love means brotherly love. It's from, of course, where we get the name of the city Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Maybe it was at one, day, one point. I don't think that's true anymore. This is not simply a love that gives from oneself, but brotherly love is a camaraderie kind of love. It's a friendship. It says, share with each other. If you want to improve your service to God, share with each other a camaraderie sort of love, a friendship sort of love, a brotherly love. A love that not only gives, but also takes. It's a give and take. That's what friendships are about. By the way, this is something that cannot happen in isolation. You cannot experience or practice brotherly love in isolation. And that's why the church is so important. It gives us a forum by which we can express brotherly love. The body of Christ loving one another in this brotherly way. We're not to be the anonymous donor who loves from afar, but one whose heart affection is evident, is known by one another, and even reciprocated. So love sacrificially, love in a brotherly way, if indeed you want to honor one another, if indeed you want to improve your service to God. And I hope you do, because honestly, God expects that you would. It's not my expectation, it's God's expectation. It's listed here in the Bible. Improve your serve, how? By outdoing each other in honor. Let's see who does the best. Let's see who gets the medal. Hmm. Notice verse 11. Not only are we to outdo each other in love, or better yet, in honor each other, and I'm suggesting to you that it begins by loving each other. But verse 11 says that you are to have zeal in your service to God. Zeal. Be zealous about serving God. Look at verse 11. You know, winning a trophy or maybe a medal or some sort of certificate um, gives you an adrenaline adrenaline rush. I'm told um, I've never received a trophy. I've never received a medal. I've never been in a competition where I excelled so much that I was given such an award. But my sons have. And today their medals are still hanging in a the room. They, they're moved out. They're, they're gone. One on the west coast, one in the southeast. But their medals stay behind, and they're still hanging there in the rooms. The trophies are still on the shelves, collecting dust, of course. One day I'm going to mail them all back to them. And their brother, of course, their youngest brother, is collecting his own array of accomplishments. And those medals certainly did look great around their necks. And those medals certainly did make their college applications look better. But the truth is that they, that they, they don't matter anymore. They're, they're just sitting there. They, they did perk up the college application. Uh, it put a smile on their face. But now, they mean nothing. Those trophies did say that they were not slothful in zeal. Um, 
Notice here, that, that's the, the language of the scriptures. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. They had zeal. But the truth is, is that God is not impressed by those medals or those trophies or those pats in the back. It doesn't impress God at all. He will be pleased, however, that we would have such an intense zeal to serve him. Now that is impressive in the eyes of God. That we would have zeal, this boiling up in us desire to serve God. Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy about zeal in your service to God. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, is what verse 11 says. Now, you might say, why should you be zealous to serve God? Well, there's various reasons why you should be zealous to serve God. I'll give you just one. Here it is. You should be zealous to serve God because God is zealous for himself. The scriptures tell us that God is zealous for himself. The scriptures tell us that God is jealous for himself. And some of you are thinking, well, that sounds a little snooty. Sounds a little hoity-toity. God would be zealous for himself? But let me explain to you why God is zealous for himself. He is zealous for himself because he's perfect. In fact, it would be wrong for for the all-perfect, all-knowing God not to be zealous for himself because he is the very definition of perfection. Perfection requires recognition. Perfection requires admiration. It would be wrong for God to ignore what is flawless, impeccable, and pure. And he is flawless, impeccable, and pure. And pure. He cannot and ought never to be ignored. And so God is zealous for himself because he is perfect. Now, the reason I should not be zealous for myself, and maybe you've noticed this about me already, is that I am not perfect. I did notice that about you. But that's not because of anything you said or did. But by virtue that you are human, I know that you are not perfect. That like me, you are a sinner. And therefore, we should not be zealous for ourselves. But we ought to be zealous for the one who is perfect, who is holy, impeccable, pure. That's God. And granted, it is much easier for us to be zealous for ourselves than it is to be zealous for God. It is much easier for me to think about myself first, even above God. But the reason for that, I think, is because I spend too much time thinking about myself. And I would imagine you do too. You spend too much time thinking about yourself instead of spending more time thinking about God. If we spent more time thinking about God, we would be impressed more so with God and we would be more zealous to serve God. But instead, we think about ourselves and so we want to serve ourselves. Honor 
each other, outdo each other in honor, and be zealous to serve God. And what's the best way to do that? Spend more time thinking about God. And you will want to serve him. You will just be amazed by his beauty. You'll say, yes, I need to serve you. I really do. I want to. Now you notice that I didn't touch on verse 12. And there's much I can say on verse 12, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to make this mention. Verse 12 reads this way. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Notice something here. When you outdo each other in honor, and when you grow in your zeal to serve Christ, you will find yourself more readily able to be filled with hope. And so you will be able to rejoice in hope. Why? Because you have been outdoing others and honoring others and you have been zealously serving God but the result is going to be this hope is going to brew up in you and notice as well that you will find yourself more patient when suffering and troubles come because you are outdoing others in honor and you are zealously serving Christ and what you'll discover is that when troubles come and they do come they will come you will find yourself very able to endure you will find yourself patient in tribulation show me a hopeless person my friends show me a person who is not doing well during trials and I'll show you a person who does not honor others and does not serve the Lord with zeal. Nine out of ten times. And you notice there it says, be constant in prayer. If you are indeed honoring others and zealous for Christ, you will find yourself more able and willing to pray. You will know what to pray for and how to pray. You will have people to pray for you and with you. And you will have people you can pray for. You will be concerned for others instead of just yourself. And you will then pray continuously. You'll have something to pray about. You won't come to your table and say, I don't know what to pray. Instead, you'll say, I don't know where to start. Why? Because you honor others and you have a zeal to serve God. Improve your service. Improve your service. God will be honored as well and you will be blessed.